Hi, this is Susan Billmeyer, encouraging you to go forth and be brilliant in your own truth, simplicity, love, and service. And you are listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. Hi, I'm Robin Renee, and this is The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. And I'm Wendy Sheridan, and welcome to episode 123. And we have another interview in our season of freedom today that's coming up later in the show. We have so far looked at freedom from many different aspects over the course of the last several months. And today I will share my conversation with longtime friend Susan Billmeyer. Um, much of her work has been in religion, ethics, and philosophy applied to higher education and nonprofit management. So uh, we'll start out learning about that work and what that means. And she also really wanted to talk about the spiritual concept of moksha, freedom from ego. This podcast is sponsored by Feminism. Are you tired of conforming to gender norms that don't really fit who you are? Have you been frustrated in meetings by having others repeat what you just said and have the room react as if it's the first time they'd heard it? Are your loan rates higher and your salary lower than the guy sitting next to you in the office? Are you unable to express your emotions without being ridiculed? Maybe it's time to ask your doctor about feminism. Side effects might include empowerment, equal pay, respect, being seen, and being heard. Ask your doctor or therapist if feminism is right for you. Or you can just decide for yourself. And now... Back to our podcast. Well, I am very pleased to be here with my old friend, Susan Billmeyer, on The Leftscape. So welcome, Susan. Thank you, Robin. It's great uh, to be Susan. here. Susan, <laughs> absolutely. You're welcome. Uh, Susan Billmeyer's professional background is in religion, ethics, and philosophy applied to higher education and nonprofit management. This coincides with a lifetime of self-education in healing arts, religious ritual, and psychological and philosophical study of the big questions like, who am I and why am I here? So that is... Um, those are big questions, <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to talking to you and uh, learning more about all of this. Yeah, good. Thanks, Robin. So, uh, absolutely. So, my first question really is, what does the first sentence of your bio mean? Like, can you can you tell me a little bit more about what you've done? Be more specific about like spiritual and philosophical work in education and nonprofits. Like, what 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 was that, or is sure. that for you? So they're kind of scrunched all together in one sentence, but they're a little bit separate. My professional training in academics is uh, I have a PhD in political science, specifically in political theory. So those questions for me were things like, how do I become a better person to contribute to society and a community? And how do we, community members, political beings, citizens, create 
better and better communities together? How do we do that in a political way? So that's the political philosophy. Then with that, um, there are a lot of ethics involved in that because how do we do that in a way that is ethical and socially just and fair to everyone? How do we you know, have all of these different voices communicating in such a way that the whole society, the whole community can move together forward in, har- in a harmonious way? So a lot of ethics with the political philosophy. Then uh, with that, I worked at the Woodrow Wilson Fellowship Foundation, uh, which has since changed its name. I'm actually not sure what it's called right now, but I was the program officer for two dissertation fellowships. One was the Charlotte Newcomb Doctoral Dissertation Fellowship in Religion and Ethics, and the other one was the uh, Woodrow Wilson Dissertation Fellowship for Women and Gender Studies. So very similar themes, religion, ethics, philosophy, how do we move forward together? How do we create things together as a society, as a world? Um, How do we do that in an ethical, just way? And how do we work with a diverse community to propel ourselves forward in a harmonious way? That is incredibly important work. And I sometimes, it's like, that is a big question for me. Like, how do you where do you start and how do you communicate across so many different kinds of people that we we need to talk with in in real yeah. ways you know so were were you doing that work at I met you at Rutgers University years ago was that where you started this work <laughs> well we met or do, do, do I say or? how long we've known each other robin <laughs> I mean, we know, but everywhere, you know, I've, my, no, yeah, it's, it's been a long time <laughs> for so, sure. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So, yeah, the, the work did begin certainly when we met all that time ago. Uh, I was in political science as an undergraduate. I was in women and gender studies as an undergraduate. We both worked with the LGBT, the, the Lesbian Gay Alliance at that time. Uh, doing a lot of social... You they know, added letters as, as they went. <laughs> yes, yes, they did. <laughs> um, so it began there. And then um, I took a break. Uh, I left my undergraduate and, and didn't come back to education for 13 years. And so those 13 years in between was kind of uh, self-exploration, figuring myself out, doing a variety of different jobs and vocations, having a lot of fun, being a free spirit, you know, just kind of living life. I never, I, de- I never wanted to get stuck behind a desk in my 20s or, you know, start that downward spiral of go to work, sit at my desk for eight hours, go home, eat dinner, go to bed, get up, go to work. Like, I never wanted to get into that. So I decided I was going to live my life and then have a career so that I could retire, you know, Anyway, so I lived, you know, exploring myself for about 13 years and then returned to Rutgers uh, in 2003 to follow the PhD path. Nice. And I I think, yes, and that's when we reconnected, I think, for a while. So that was, that that makes sense. That timeline makes sense. That's cool. So on this on this podcast, we've talked all season about freedom in different ways. And... We're talking about, you know, 
specific political rights, like the freedom from want, so that we should have, you know, be free to have all the things that we need, the basic necessities and freedom to exist as a queer person, for example, or freedom of expression and that sort of thing. And I know that you have a, a deep interest in like a real universal kind of ultimate freedom. And that is you call what you call moksha. And that's the yeah. Sanskrit word, I believe. Yep. Right. So yep. what is moksha? How did you, what path does that come from in your tradition? And how can well, you describe that? So I don't, so first I don't have a specific tradition. I say that I practice religious fluidity. Uh, I am comfortable in a lot of different religions, uh, Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, a little bit of Islam. And I love just, you know, how people practice God. And I mean practice because religion is specifically systems and processes that are put into place. So there's religion that is kind of dogma and, you know, specific rituals, which I don't particularly love dogma, but I like rituals and celebrations and things like that. And then there's spirituality, which is more introspection, self-reflection, and how a person feels personally about their relationship to a higher order or a higher divine being. So that's the first thing. I'm religiously fluid and uh, am comfortable in a lot of different categories for religion and spirituality. With that said, the particular tradition that moksha comes from, in my experience, is from Sanskrit. And it's about, so moksha means freedom. And in this particular tradition, how I've learned it, it's the freedom from ego or the freedom from the little individualized self that thinks of or perceives itself as separate from the divine self or the higher self or the oneness that is that encompasses everything so to achieve moksha to achieve this freedom it's about a constant letting go of the things that get in the way of a natural divinity and when you can let go of everything that stands in the way of natural divinity, you all that's left is your natural divinity. So I think I'm hearing you talk about the divine as something that could be named or unnamed. So it's something that could you could talk about with someone who doesn't have a religious practice necessarily or or a God concept. But it's I believe sort so. Of other than that or beyond than that is yeah beyond that yeah and in okay. fact I, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, um a, a few months ago and uh, this friend calls herself an atheist and so i said okay well how do you you know what what do you think life is like what is what is atheism to you what is what how do you experience life and uh she then proceeded to explain that life is energy everything is energy everything interacts Inter, in an interconnected energetic way. And ultimately all you have is energy. So it's all one. And I said to her, I was like, oh, well with that definition, I guess I'm an atheist too, because that's one definition of God is that everything is energy. God is energy and it's all interconnected and there's only energy. 
Right. Yeah, that sounds very familiar. I was going to say that just sounds like a lot of spiritual paths I've heard described, really. Mm-hmm. So that's that's interesting. That's cool. So divine, you use the term, the divine, what was the, uh, the term you said? Natural divinity. As moksha, natural divinity. Mm-hmm. What does that feel like for you or what is that for you? Hmm. I guess the way that I think of it and the way I experience it is that I, in this body, with this mind, can have a loving, compassionate, kind, harmonious life, an abundant life, an abundant, uh, a life that's just full and rich and joy-filled and peaceful and not saying, see, yeah, let me pause a sec and throw this in. Because some people think that spirituality or divinity is about, oh, everything's going to be smooth sailing. You know, if my life isn't perfect, you know, they have this kind of false positivity about, you know, when you bring spirituality in, everything is just perfect. And that's that's not really my concept of spirituality or divinity. It's like you still have to go through life. You still have the ups and downs of life, but there's an inner peace. There's an inner calm. There's an inner harmony. There's an inner kind of understanding and observation of watching my life work really well. And so that to me and and it has progressed over my life as i've gone deeper i guess into practices and and in uncovering my own natural divinity my life works really well and continues to improve and i still have emotions i still go up and down i still get fraught with you know confusion or something like that but just in general like I look at my life, I'm rel- I'm I'm happy, I'm peaceful, I'm I have a good I have a good life, and so spirituality becomes very practical then, or having a natural divinity becomes very practical because it's expression, and when you can get into the kind of this role of expressing and experiencing this natural divinity, life just gets better, in my experience. Mm, mm-hmm. So, what are the things that you do in that? to experience that or just what are the things you do as you experience that i guess i could say to in in order to experience or as i because they're i i guess i'm gonna um but we both but whichever i mean i i guess i was thinking of the rituals that you yeah like to practice or that you've adopted over the years or yeah from the most complex to the simple whatever whatever that is for you sure sure so what i have come to believe is that practices matter. Commitment to a practice matters. In the simplest form, almost every religion has some sort of practice that involves the elements, earth, air, water, and fire. So earth practices are things like, you know, keeping your body healthy, fasting, not eating meat, as in like Buddhism or Hinduism, um, drinking lots of water, you know, exercising, doing things that are good for your body. 
those are earth practices. And those practices would also include things like, you know, taking care of your finances, taking care of your home, things that are, you know, the surround, the material surroundings. And so for myself, I fast, I cleanse, and I have had a long journey of trying to figure out my finances and get my finances in order. Water practices, every religion has some kind of a water practice, baptism and Christianity. Um, so my personal water practice is taking baths. I love taking baths and water cleanses, you know, your body is 70% water. And so laying in water, your body water is being cleansed by the water that you're laying in and it's relaxing and you're taking care of your body and you're doing it with water. So that's my water practice. Fire. Uh, fire is the creative spark. So fire is this, you know, really intense creation kind of uh, energy. And a very simple fire practice is to watch a candle flame, to do just a uh, just watch the flame or you can sit with a campfire and the campfire um, in the tradition that I am familiar with, the, the fire actually cleanses the energetic body. So as you sit with a fire, your energetic body is rotating through the flames and being cleansed by the flames. There are also, there's a ritual that I do that's called, uh, it's a ritual fire in the mornings called a hoven. And that entails practices or prayers and tossing uh, rice and grains and ghee into the fire with a swaha, which means, you know, I release this, I offer this to the fire and I do that practice. And then uh, finally, air practice is uh, very simple. It's breathing, right? Uh, in a lot of traditions, the breath is so important to life and to spirituality, um, the breath of life. God breathed in the Christian tradition. God breathed the breath of life into Adam. Um, in the Hindu tradition, prana is uh, gained in the body through the breath. So as you breathe and do breathing practices, you are breathing energy as well as air, and it's stimulating your neurons, your nervous system, your circulation system, all of your organs, all of your muscles, because the energy is coming in with the oxygen and the air. Um, so those are basic practices of earth, air, water, and fire. And then even more basic in some ways is silence, just being quiet and tuning into the stillness is a practice and that's practiced in like Quakerism. Um, when you go to a Quaker friend's house, the meeting is silent and all you're doing in that silent meeting at a Quaker friend's house is being silent and feeling the presence of God to the best of your ability. Um, and then prayer, which is communication. So pr communication with God, communication with the divine, you know, ev evolving your thoughts and putting them in touch with something that's higher and greater than yourself. So to answer your question, earth, air, water, fire, silence, and prayer. Those are, that covers it, right? <laughs> Those are very cool. And I, I appreciate the universal nature of what you're talking about. Like you really are connecting to a lot of, to collecting, connecting to something that feels very universal in, in many ways and seeing those many ways that are possible. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. which is which is interesting because I think some people there's this sort of political debate currently about well you mentioned spiritual bypass I was going to ask you about that and you sound very 
aware of that as a possibility and 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 sort of making sure you're not just seeing like oh everything's fine because I do this thing or because I believe this thing you know it's it's more grounded it sounds but my other question is about appropriation and I know that a lot of people are very uh concerned or nervous about that aspect of spirituality these days and like mm-hmm. I personally resonate a lot with the idea of connecting with what calls you mm-hmm. you know and those can come from anywhere in the world uh, I wonder if you have encountered that or wrestled with that idea at all so let me just clarify. So when um, appropriation, would that be, for example, like Westerners doing yoga and thinking that they're being spiritual spiritual about doing yoga? I mean, is that what you're talking about? Yes, that's or, what I think a lot. Or of using ayahuasca, uh, using ayahuasca as a spiritual tool when you don't really know anything about the culture or what ayahuasca is really capable of, things like that? I th- I think so. Yes. And I don't I mean I think people have various degrees of what they think is okay or not okay whether you know about it or not or how you know I don't I don't know but that's uh but, but I know that you exact- were just recently in India were you studying were right. you studying or teaching in India recently? Uh I went to so uh there's a Hindu celebration uh called Navaratri which is a 9 day 9 oh. night uh celebration of the divine mother. Mm-hmm. And the two big times uh, that that's celebrated is in the fall and in the spring. So I went for the spring Navratri. So celebration of the Divine Mother. It was amazing. So oh, beautiful. Uh, all right. So yeah. so to get back to your question, the 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 thing. So it's kind of a fine line, right? Because on the one hand, people just kind of dabble and want to try this or try that and kind of approach things with you know we we in america kind of have this very commercial superficial approach to so many things and there's an inauthenticity about that i i and this is my opinion like how americans approach things is just in a lot of ways, superficial. Like we don't think deeply about things. We don't, you know, anyway. So, so to that degree that people are just trying stuff and consumerism and jumping on the bandwagon and wanting to try things because it's the next big thing. Yes. I'm worried about, I, I am concerned about cultural appropriation. Because then it's just the next new thing. It's irreverent. It's disrespectful. There's no thoughtfulness about it. Um, there's no actual seeking. You know, it's just the next new thing. On the other hand, and for for myself, like I, the things that I do, I take very seriously, and it's a study for me and it's a going deep and a trying to figure out and it's using these wide variety of spiritual texts and traditions to answer questions for myself in a way that works for me. Um, I do worry about like especially with Hinduism because Hinduism there's so many rules and so many ways to do things wrong and I do worry about like especially while I was there okay 
always use your right hand. Don't use your left hand. Always use your right hand. Don't use your forefinger to do, you know, to do the mala thing. Don't point your legs or feet towards somebody or towards the altar. Um, sit with your head facing this certain way, you know, east, west. Like there are so many rules. But the thing is that, and this was one of the things that I really understood very deeply while I was there is that God, God doesn't care. The Divine Mother, because I was there for the Divine Mother Festival, you know, if you are authentically, truly, genuinely doing something to connect with God within yourself, then that, that's what God cares about, is your genuine willingness to seek a deeper connection. So I think that's the line for, for me is, and, and I can't judge that. See, then, then there's also the judgment question, right? Because I can't judge anyone else's interaction with whatever tool they are using to seek the divine. I can't judge whether they are doing it authentically or inauthentically. Only God can do that. And so even though I might look at someone who is, you know, you know, saying they're a yogi and it looks superficial to me, to them it might be the deepest place they can go, and I don't know that. Did that answer your question? There was a lot there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, no, thank you. That's it, it's a lot to think about and I I really hear your I it's a it was a very thoughtful response. I really appreciate that actually. Yeah, that's thank you. What gets in your way in your practice? In my practice? Well, so currently currently I've got something in the way that I don't actually know what it is. Um I have felt lethargic and demotivated and and i would rather watch netflix than do my practices and i i don't know so i get in my own way that's the answer i get in my own way um i'm kind of sharing with you the most immediate thing that's going on when i don't know what's in the way and i can usually feel it what i do is i back up i do the best that I can do to do the best that I can do. And while I'm doing what little I think I can do, I'm saying to God, God, I'm really sorry. I'm not in this at all. I apologize. I'm doing this little thing and I'm giving you this one little willingness. And I am so willing to do this one thing. Please use this one thing that I can do to open the door so that I can do more because I really want to do more but I don't have it in me right now. So help me. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so those are the things like that, not knowing, being uncertain, feeling lethargic, uncertainty gets in my way. And so I just back up and do the best that I can do after having retreated to a point where I can actually do something. Mm-hmm. And how do you how do you apply this kind of way of being in life 
to the political and the activist and the things that you also feel are important? Because one is really about sort of experiencing and kind of backing up. And, you know, in Buddhism, they talk about non-attachment and and not really acting with a, a need for an outcome. And then mm-hmm. at the same time, we have these things in our in our worlds that feel very urgent, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. things that need to be to uh, approached and, and worked on and that sort of thing. And how does that, how do you synthesize that? Because that it seems to be that you've focused on that to some degree. Yeah. So spirituality is really practical to me. We started with where my education was, which was political philosophy, which is how do we, we community together, create a society that works in better and better ways for everyone. And the answer that I have evolved into is that first, my first step is to improve myself and to be the best person that I can be because it's only through being the best person that I can be that I can bring that to my community. And so spirituality is my way of exploring, evolving and becoming the best person that I can be. And the reason I think that is because spirituality has some of the highest thoughts that can be thought. Like if you think the thought of love or compassion or kindness that are basic in most religions, like those are really high quality thoughts. And you can think thoughts of like uh, how to improve the water downtown or the the post office delivery system or, you know, things that communities need, but there are higher thoughts than that. And because action follows thought, the higher the thoughts that you can have, the higher the actions that are produced. So for me, spirituality gives me the highest possible thoughts that I can think and the actions that follow those high thoughts are higher quality actions. So when you say high thoughts, you're talking about sort of like top level, most deep connection things that, that we can think about or, 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 or experience or strive for in our, in yeah. our lives. Yeah. So and, love, and okay. I would say there's love, not, peace, um, all those. Yeah. And it's not a cookie cutter. Like everybody individually is going to have their own personal, what's the highest thought I can have at this moment. Because sometimes like if you're in an argument Mm -hmm. with someone and you're, you know, fuming and you ask yourself, okay, what's the highest quality thought that I can have right now? Chances are, it's not going to be love. It's going to be, I'm going to tolerate this or something. But at every moment, there's the option of what is the highest quality thought that I can have right now. And as you evolve further, you know, as you consistently have higher quality thoughts, you can have higher quality thoughts more often in more situations. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I find myself resistant to the 
hierarchy, but I understand mm. intuitively what you mean. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, the hierarchy of like, it's just interesting terminology. Yeah. 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 Because I think we get into this thing of like the the mind mm-hmm. is better than the body and the spirit is better than the mind. Or, and I don't think, I don't quite resonate with those concepts. But I, in another way, I absolutely get what you're saying right now. I mean, that, that makes oh. perfect sense to me. And it's interesting how we sort of, our la- I think our language is limited. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And... <laughs> It's hard to describe some of these things, but I, but I get, I totally get it too. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Cause I, I mean, I guess the same thing, like it wouldn't have to be the highest quality thought. What's the highest quality feeling I can have right now? What's the highest quality sensation that I could have right now? Right. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to, I guess I, I did limit it to thought or whatever, but you're right. I mean, it, it wouldn't have to be limited to just thoughts. It could be feelings or um, body sensations or um, words or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So what are your words of wisdom for people who are wanting to get on a path of moksha freedom, which is big, big freedom? <laughs> Want to always become more than what you are now and serve others towards a higher purpose as often as you can. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. And where can we find you these days? Are you teaching these things? Are you just experiencing and living your best life? (laughs) (laughs) I'm, um, I am in transition. I do have a website. It's withpearls.com where I have a lot of my spiritual ideas on uh, uh, on a couple of pages. Earth, air, water, fire is all on that website. I'm, I'm in transition and hoping to do a lot more writing in the near future. Mm. I know that feeling. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing this. This has been a really, really good conversation. I appreciate hearing your way of being in the world and the way you bring it to all of us. So thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. It's been, this is wonderful. You got questions? We got answers. And today's question is from the internet. And it is, what is your favorite ride at an amusement park? And it can be any amusement park. The internet is asking you questions now? Yes, the internet (laughs) is asking me questions now. Okay. I think that means I I need to ask some people to ask us more questions. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite ride at an amusement park. I like the gentle rides actually okay so i like going on the merry-go-round and a ferris <laughs> wheel <laughs> things like that and silly little smaller roller coasters are fun okay i like i like the roller coasters i like the ones that make you pull a bunch of g's the ones that could also conceivably be part of astronaut training <laughs> okay 
Because that's my fantasy. I get in the roller coaster and it's like, I'm going to space. You know, <laughs> uh, I haven't been on one in a really, really long time. And I, and I don't really have any plans for going anytime soon either. Mm. So, but that was, that was my big, my big thrill was the big ride, the big roller coaster rides. Okay. So. Yeah. I mean, I, there was an old wooden roller coaster at a park near me that I loved. And it was like, it's fun and it's enough of a of of like the up and down and around mm -hmm. and stuff that's cool. But some of the ones they like they become more and more extreme and oh, I've yeah. been on them that are just not enjoyable. Like it's oh. just it's just sort of more painful than anything to me. Well, so. that's no fun. Yeah, no. So it kind of just depends on how they're calibrated or something. Yeah. But. I mean, there was one at Great Adventure that I never managed to get on. It was Batman the Ride, and it's probably been redone a lot since it was there. Like the first time, I was slightly pregnant, and and I threw slightly up. Slightly pregnant. <laughs> I wasn't showing yet. Okay. So they couldn't keep me off the ride, but I threw up in the line, so oh. we didn't go. <laughs> and I think the second time I went there, the kids we were with. My stepsons were too short, so we couldn't go on the ride. So that was like, that's it. And I haven't been back there since. Oh, so, wow. so that was that. But I don't, I don't know that I would have enjoyed. That's one of the ones where your feet are hanging. Yeah. No. You know, I, and that would have been the first time I was on one of those. So I don't know. Yeah, um, I think I could do without The it. rock and roller coaster at Disney World was like really, and maybe that, maybe that wasn't, maybe that was Six Flags in Tampa. I don't know. I don't know now. One of those. I th and, it was either Disney or, or the other one, and that one was really good. <laughs> all right. And I don't, this isn't a ride technically, but I love spooky houses. Ah. So those are, whenever there's the, they have those at amusement parks, I'm all about it. <laughs> no, I don't like those anymore. Uh. I, I don't like, I don't like people jump scaring me. <laughs> um, I was, I was in one, I was working one at the, at, on campus and, and I got kicked in the face because oh, I scared man. somebody too much because I was right. on the ground, like grabbing people's legs oh, and begging, help me, help me in the total darkness. And somebody just freaked out and kicked and got me in the face. So that Ouch. was like, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. I'll pass. Oh man. Um, so oh, on our, cool. yeah, on our next show. <laughs> I am going to talk with some of the primary challengers for mayor and city council in Rahway, New Jersey, where I live. And Robin is going to be interviewing me in our artscape segment. And I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yes, I am interested in hearing what you've got going on. So that should be a good show. And I'm Robin Renee, and you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan or Instagram at Robin Renee Music and on Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy. So definitely reach out, follow me, say hi. <laughs> and uh, if you like to hang out on Discord, let me know. I'm there as Andrew Genus. Maybe we can uh, connect. And I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards. On Twitter at Wendy Designs and on Etsy at Wendy Cards with a Z. And I'm on Discord as Vox Woman, but I am very rarely actually on Discord. Yeah, I know. I hardly ever see it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like it, sh it fires up when I turn on my laptop. I go, ah, close that, close that. <laughs> um, and remember, you can always reach out to us on social media at Leftscape. We love to hear from you. Send us your questions. We might answer one on an upcoming show. And we, as you can hear, we need questions. <laughs> so we please, do. Please do. 
<laughs> so until next time, be well, get naked, and keep left. Keep left. You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash leftscape. Thanks for listening.